Hello, Ross Sharp here with another episode of Aeronautica. A Bigger Bang, the £22,000 MC Grand Slam bomb. Careful consideration of the facts can sometimes lead one to incorrect conclusions. However, if you were asked to name the top British aeronautical designers who had contributed most to the war effort during the period 1939 to 1945, you would have to include Sir Sidney Cam, Hurricane and Tempest, Reginald Mitchell, Spitfire, and Roy Chadwick, Lancaster. But you would also have to consider Barnes Wallace, too. This Derbyshire-born genius, and that is not too strong a term, was responsible for the Vickers Wellington, the backbone of Royal Air Force Bomber Command for two years, and the upkeep mine which breached the Roar Dams, and the ground-breaking and ground-shaking tall boy of £12,000, and the Grand Slam £22,000, the largest conventional munitions dropped during World War Two. It was found to be possible to construct a simple 12,000-pound blast bomb by bolting three of the existing 4,000-pound bombs together. But only the Avro Lancaster of the Royal Air Force's World War II bombers could carry this weapon. High-capacity bombs had a very thin skin, which enabled them to carry around 75% of their weight as explosive, usually amatol but they were not aerodynamic and could not really be aimed. They relied for their effectiveness on their superior blast effect, which was felt over a wide area, hence the nickname Blockbuster, plus the fact that they were notoriously sensitive and could not be jettisoned safe. In other words, they would explode anyway. The famous armaments company of Vickers Sons and Maxims Limited first began to build airships in 1908 and eventually constructed aircraft, guns, ships and tanks. Barnes-Wallace had been employed on airship design by Vickers before moving on to design aircraft such as the Wellesley, Wellington and Warwick, but he is perhaps best known for his weapons designs. Unlike the area bombing form of attack favoured by certain sections of the Royal Air Force, the Air Ministry and Winston Churchill's scientific adviser, Frederick Lindemann, Barnes-Wallace believed in precision attack by aircraft carrying the largest weapons possible against high-value enemy targets. Wallace's upkeep weapon, technically a mine, but almost always referred to as the bouncing bomb, was used by No. 617 Squadron Royal Air Force, forever known as the Dambusters, to attack the Roar Dams on the night of the 16th, 17th May 1943, with mostly successful results. After this, Air Chief Marshal Harris of Royal Air Force Bomber Command and Vickers were happy to let Barnes-Wallace continue with the development of his pet project, the earthquake bomb. Initially, Wallace wanted a 10-ton bomb, circa £22,000, which would ideally have been released from an aircraft flying at 40,000 feet. Since an aircraft capable of doing this did not exist at the time, it was decided to scale the weapon down, and a 12,000-pound bomb, a deep penetration type, was authorised. This was codenamed Tallboy, 
and was 21 feet long with a diameter of 38 inches and carried a charge of 5,200 pounds of Torpex D1. Torpex was named for its intended underwater use, namely as in torpedo warheads, because the 18% of aluminium powder that the explosive mixture contained extended the explosive pulse and therefore ensured the maximum damage due to overpressure. Other constituents of the explosive mixture included TNT, 40%, and RDX, 42%. RDX, a code name meaning Research Department Explosive, and sometimes called T4 or Cyclonite, was around 50% more powerful than TNT, so the Torboy packed a powerful punch. This destructive power was used to create a void deep underneath the earth after the body of the bomb, its nose made from tough forged steel, had punched its way underground. As this void collapsed it left a large crater into which structures such as bridges and rail tunnels collapsed. Not only that, but foundations were shaken and weakened by the ground waves caused by the explosion which could be up to 150 yards away and still be effective. Even if total destruction did not occur, the amount of damage caused was such as to leave structures weakened so that a near miss would cause its destruction. This contrasted sharply with the fact that a 12,000 pound blast bomb could detonate as close as 10 yards away from a major stone viaduct and no serious damage would be inflicted on the structure. As had happened during raids on the Anthor viaduct in the south of France and the Dortmund-Ems canal in Germany. The only Royal Air Force aircraft capable of carrying the tall boy was the Avro Lancaster, rapidly becoming Royal Air Force Bomber Command's standard heavy bomber. The Lancaster's bomb bay doors had to be modified to accommodate the weapon and it was decided that only a few squadrons, including numbers 9 and 617, would be given the training and special SABS Mark IIA bombsite needed to operate with the weapon. After a period of workup, these squadrons began attacking strategic targets, such as the Samur railway tunnel in France, blocking it completely and preventing vital German reinforcements from reaching the D-Day beaches from the south of the country. An even more impressive feat was the sinking of the Tirpitz, a German battleship which was moored in Norwegian waters following damage in an earlier bombing raid by Lancaster's operating at their maximum radius of action from the Scottish airbase at Lossiemouth. On the 12th of November 1944, Torboys dropped by both numbers 9 and 617 squadrons, smothered the Tirpitz and three direct hits were obtained. The battleship turned turtle. Following these initial operational successes in July 1944, Barnes-Wallis was given the green light by the Ministry of Aircraft Production for his monster 10-tonner, the Grand Slam. The Vickers Don Valley facility in Sheffield was one of the very few forges which could handle the production of such a massive weapon. The steel casing took two days to cool down after being cast before the difficult task of machining the body could begin. When ready, the bomb casing was filled with molten Torpex explosive. Amazingly, this took one whole month to set and cool. 
the final charge-to-weight ratio was calculated at 43%. Consequently, because production of the bomb was so slow and expensive, air crews were instructed to bring their weapon back to base if they were unable to drop it on target. On top of the 9,200 pounds of cooled torpex, a one-inch layer of TNT was poured, the explosion of which would initiate the torpex, followed by four inches of a wood, meal and wax mixture, which was then sealed with a half-inch plywood washer, with three holes drilled through to take the triple number 58 fuse pistols. Finally, a heavy steel plate was bolted over the end of the bomb casing, then the special number 78 Mark I tail with its four fins offset at an angle of three degrees to induce a right-handed spin of over 300 rpm and increase accuracy after it was dropped was bolted on using a dozen 7 16th inch studs. The bomb was painted mid-green with a single one-inch red stripe near the nose to indicate that it was filled with explosive. To carry this enormous weapon, even more changes had to be made to the Avro Lancaster bomber. The Bombay doors were completely removed, as were both the mid-upper and the front turret. A lightweight aerodynamic fairing was fitted in its place. Some of the standard armour plate on the aircraft was taken out, and higher power Rolls-Royce Merlin 25 engines fitted. The resulting aircraft was designated the Avro Lancaster B Mark I bracket special close brackets. It was decided to drop just one weapon, now known as the bomb, medium capacity, 22,000 pounds, as a test. No more could be afforded. The remote Ashley Range in the New Forest in Hampshire was chosen, and on the 13th of March 1945, the first live Grand Slam was dropped. The bomb was released using special Vickers design gear fitted to the Lancaster and accelerated to near sonic speed. It impacted close to the target and the resulting explosion caused a crater 70 feet deep and 130 feet across. The weapon was cleared for use. The following day a Grand Slam was used against the Bielefeld Viaduct in Germany. This vital rail link was attacked by a 617 squadron, 28 of which were carrying tall boys and one a Grand Slam. The 22,000-pounder landed within 80 yards of the target and 11 seconds later a huge crater was created which fatally weakened the structure. Nearby, tall boy misses finished the work and two spans of this vital transportation link collapsed. Raids on railway bridges, viaducts and submarine pens across Germany continued throughout March 1945 with devastating results. The German Reich collapsed, along with these and other high-value targets, and the European campaign drew to a close on VE Day, 8th of May 1945. No less than 854 tallboys and 41 Grand Slams had been delivered, many with deadly accuracy. Post-war in early 1946, the Royal Air Force and the United States Army Air Forces decided to conduct live bombing trials with deep penetration weapons. These trials were called Operation Ruby. The test target chosen was the partially destroyed Valentin submarine pens at Bremen, Germany, and Grand Slams were some of the weapons used.
the RAF used Lancasters, of course, and the United States Army Air Forces, the B-29 Superfortress, which was the only other World War II aircraft capable of carrying the Grand Slam. Actually, the B-29 could carry two of these giant bombs externally, one under each in a wing. Following these trials, the United States Air Force built up a stock of US-manufactured versions of the Grand Slam. These were designated T-14 and were built in five sections, a forged nose cone and tail and three rolled and welded steel sections in between. One of these is preserved at the United States Air Force Armaments Museum near Eglin Air Force Base, Florida. The American authorities even developed a monstrous 44,000-pound deep penetration bomb, the T-12, which the B-29 could only just carry. However, the aircraft fuel load had to be so reduced that it was, to all intents and purposes, useless as a weapon of war. An example of the T-12 is on display at the US Army's Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland. Five Grand Slams are preserved in the UK. One is held by the Royal Air Force Museum, one at the Battle of Britain Memorial Flights Visitor Centre at Royal Air Force Coningsby, one at the Dumfries and Galloway Aviation Museum in Scotland, and another at Royal Air Force Lossiemouth, where number 617 was stationed for many years. A main body of a Grand Slam minus tail is on display at Kellam Island Museum, Sheffield, not far from the site of the Don Valley Works of Vickers Limited, where the bombs were made. The one you can see here is a casing, complete with tail, on display at the Brooklands Museum. This is quite appropriate, as the former's Vickers plant on this site was where Barnes-Wallace worked for many years. Strangely, there are also two Grand Slams on display in Pakistan, one in Karachi and the other at Sargoda. They were on their way to the Pacific, to be used by a 617 squadron against Japanese targets when two other bombs of the atomic kind brought the Second World War to a close. Following the partition of India, which gave rise to two new countries of Pakistan and India, the Grand Slams found themselves on the Pakistani side of the line of partition. There was one other Grand Slam which had been on display for many years outside the main gate at Royal Air Force Scampton, the World War II home of 617 Squadron. In 1958, the road outside the main gate needed to be widened and an attempt was made to lift the bomb, which was thought to be an empty casing. Shockingly, it was found to be full of live explosive and it was gingerly towed away to the remote military ranges at Shubri Ness on the Thames estuary. There it was safely detonated. Here I must quote from a document I found. Some safety distance calculations were done, however, about the effect of a grand slam detonating at ground level in the open. Apart from the entire Royal Air Force Station, most of the northern part of the city of Lincoln, including Lincoln Cathedral, which dates back to 1250, would have been flattened. The Grand Slam and Torboy, bombs that showed there was a viable alternative to the crude weapon of area bombing used on Germany in World War II, and proof 
if anyone needed, of the genius of Saban's Wallace.